Today we are beginning uh, just a three-part message series. We're using the phrase, King of my heart. King of my heart. And this fall, we have been focusing on the body of Christ. We've been talking a lot about what it looks like for us to be together. We've been looking at uh, what Paul wrote in the book of Ephesians over and over again, just about how uh, we, the body of Christ is supposed to work. We have all of these differences and all of these people coming together, different backgrounds, different things, different giftings, different passions, uh, different experiences, and we come together to, to make the body of Christ, and our differences actually make us stronger and they make us better. And you are not meant to just sit there. That's not how this is supposed to work. We all have a part to play and a piece in all of that. And then we transition and we begin to talk about the power of prayer. And and we know that Jesus is supposed to be the center of all that we do. He says he's supposed to be the head of the body. And we only keep Jesus the center of this by by spending purposeful time with him in prayer. Uh, How many of you were here last Sunday night as we had our prayer service? We called it Together Night uh, and we had, we had about 175 people show up for that. And we gathered together. Uh, we had the music team right here in the middle. We gathered around them, had a meal together first. It was beautiful. There was enough uh, hot dish to, I don't know what's going on. It was something special, okay? And then we gathered and we sang together and we uh, prayed and we spent time crying out to God together in a big circle, just symbolic of this word together in the body of Christ. It, it was just such a, a beautiful thing. We had all sorts of people who have been asking us, like, if we're going to do that again, and we got to do that again, and can we do that next week, All someone else said. And I was like, no, we're not going to do that next week. Okay, uh, But we are, uh, the second week of January, we are going to be having what we call our week of prayer and fasting. You'll hear more information about that. But we're, we're, the plan is to end that uh, with uh, another uh, meal and service just like that on a Sunday night. And so that is coming. We'll have more uh, about that stuff as we get closer. But our series is titled King of My Heart, King of My Heart. And what we're going to see is that the Bible is filled with all sorts of heart talk. And right out of the gate, uh, just in case you're here and you don't know what's going on, we're not talking about like the blood pumping organ inside of you. Uh, this is something so much deeper. The heart is central to our relationship with God, to our spiritual lives, and to so many things. And the the phrase, king of my heart, it's priority language. It's it's who's first type of language. Who is king? Who is Lord? And for the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at a few very harsh passages of Scripture, Uh, things that are difficult, things that you read and you say, I can't believe Jesus said that, what is going on? Some of this is going to make you uncomfortable. Are you ready for that? Maybe. We'll have to see. Uh, I'm going to ask you to bring your big boy, big girl pants with you to church for the next three weeks, okay? Uh, and, uh, and so here we go. Let's just get right into this. I want to start by just praying together. So please stand with me all over this place. And we're just going to pray and then, uh, and then get into what God has for us through his word today. So God, we we pause for just a moment to invite you into this place. God, we are hungry for more of you. We don't want to be the same. We don't want to just go through churchy motions and do churchy stuff. But God, our desire is to to truly grow and learn and be the body of Christ and 
and experience you in so many ways. And so, God, we just give this moment to you, every part and every piece. Uh, Use me, God. Help me. Don't let this be about me, please. Uh, And so, God, we just give this to you in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, give somebody a high five and have a seat. (coughs) All right. Man, we're rowdy today. That's okay. Uh, Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 4, Proverbs 4.23 says this, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Above all else, guard your heart. Uh, above all else, pretty strong language here, literally translated as first or the priority. Okay? Above all else, guard your heart. Like this should be important. This should be of most importance is what he's saying here because everything you do flows from it. Everything you do flows from this heart and so we must guard that. But listen, if the Bible tells us to guard our hearts, then an assumption can be made that our hearts are in some sort of danger. Would you agree? Like just think about it. You don't have to guard something if there's no reason for you to guard something. Uh, There's something happening that we aren't always aware of, and it has to do with our heart. Now, Jeremiah chapter 19 actually says the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? It's just a uh, hope-filled verse, isn't it, Uh, about our hearts. Deceitful above all things. But I I don't think this verse is in line exactly with the big picture of the Bible, and there's more going on here. But what we see throughout the scripture is that our hearts like, are, are vulnerable to this cancerous, toxic nastiness that is attempting to work its way inside of us. Uh, another way we could say it is that there is a battle that is going on all the time for our hearts on the inside. And it's not a battle that is just won or lost in a moment But scripturally, this is a battle that we will face and that we do face every single day, all the time, uh, for your, for my heart, for my heart. We're going to talk this out a little bit. Uh, In in the book of Matthew, or in the book of Mark, is what I see here, Jesus is responding. He responds to a question about, uh, the Jewish people had all sorts of questions about eating food, and there were certain foods that was right, and certain foods was wrong. And Jesus, like, talks about this at one point in Mark chapter 7, and he says this, he says, Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus was declaring all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Out of a person comes all of this junk, and then we get this list of junk that Jesus describes, all these evils. And and here's why we're using the phrase, king of my heart, and all of this is kind of an introduction to this topic today. But when we look at this list of evils and we look at a lot of this talk of this angle, um, they all come from what we could say is like self-centeredness or uh, selfishness. We won't go through them all, but sexual immorality, selfishness, theft, murder, adultery, 
greed, like self-centered things. And, and I know you could probably make some arguments about some of them in different ways, but just understand like that the very root of evil, and that is a weird word maybe for some of us to use, but it's just the word that Jesus uses here in this. The root of this, the root of all that is in our lives in that way is comes, overflows from self-centeredness wanting to ooze into us all the time. A self-focused, self-centered, self-first heart. So here's, here's where we are at this. That was all quick and we're kind of like, some of us are like, I don't know where we're at or what's going on here. The Bible tells us to guard this thing inside of us. It uses the word your heart. You guard your heart because everything in your life flows out of that. And so we have this massively important, but we also see that our hearts are being pulled in toxic directions uh, all the time, every day. It is a battle. And the battle can kind of be summed up in the question, who is king? Now, let me explain this. Let me illustrate this. And, and some of you have heard me use this illustration if you've been here a long time before. But the picture is that every single one of us, we have a throne sort of of our lives. I'm not talking about a toilet here. So someone just giggled and said, okay, but we all have a throne. And figuratively, you have a throne of your life. And the one who sits on the throne of your life uh, is in a way who you are living for and who I am living for. It's who's in charge. It's who's in control. And before a person commits their life to Jesus, that they are the one who sits on the throne of their life. I mean, that makes sense. It's my life. I sit on the throne of my life. And I now live for myself, making decisions that are good for me and for those that I love. And uh, because your family and your spouse, and like, understand, that's still a part of you. So we are living for our own glory, our own uh, purpose, our own benefit, and the decisions that we make are rooted and overflow from this idea of I am, I am king of my heart, okay? Just, just setting that up, and maybe you've never thought of it that way, but figuratively, we're talking this out. What's best for me and the ones that I love is what I live for, but as Christians, things are supposed to be different, and I think we know this, and we say this, and Romans chapter 10 is a great example it just says the word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. And then we get to verse number nine. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. A part of this initial salvation experience, is that's the churchy word we use uh, in Christianity for when a person responds to this message of Jesus, they are saved. They receive salvation in that way. But part of that experience is declaring that Jesus is Lord. We're declaring that. Uh, a, a, a different translation just says to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. And we have clear wording here of the mouth and the heart kind of in this, in this, transla in this translation here. And a part of giving our lives to Christ, a part of receiving salvation and forgiveness and however you want to say it, a part of that moment should be, in a way, removing ourselves from this throne of our life, figuratively, and now placing Jesus on that spot. 
And now he is now king. He is now Lord. And we begin to live now as though he is what matters. We're not always just looking out for us and our family and what's important to me, but now Jesus and what he wants and what, he is, what matters to him becomes who we are and why we live and what we are a part of and what we are about, okay? Saying, now, Jesus, you are in control. I'm living for you and your glory. It's no longer about me and what's best for me. You're the Lord of my life. You're the king of my heart. But here's what we absolutely know to be true because we see this all the time uh, in our culture, it is absolutely possible for somebody to raise their hand, say a prayer, go to church, sing songs, give money, get baptized, but never truly make Jesus king. Would you agree that 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 is absolutely possible? They, They claim Jesus is Lord, yet they clearly and we clearly make decisions as though we are Lord. Are you following me so far? Now, this is going to get more complicated and more difficult the farther we go here today. But listen to me, God isn't just looking for you to go to church, and he's not just looking for you to give some money. God isn't looking for you to just do churchy things at the right time and and, and in the right way and not just looking for you to stay away from the bad things and all this. Like God really, he, he just, he wants our hearts. He wants your heart. That, that, that is what he wants. And everything else that we do as followers of Christ actually flows out of the fact that Jesus is king. So you, you should not come to church because you think it's a good idea and a good thing to do. Church should be this overflow out of us that says Jesus is king of my heart and I want to now prioritize the things that matter to him. And the body of Christ is massively important to him and so I must be a part of that. Don't give money. Don't don't give money because you feel like you're supposed to give money. Responding financially to Jesus is because he is king of our hearts. And when that happens, we begin to say, wow, everything that I have, it doesn't make sense for me to spend it all on me. Building his kingdom matters. And we begin to respond in that way. And all of it, okay? So understand what we do and how we live as Christians should flow first from Jesus being Lord of our lives and King of our hearts. Our relationship with God only fully becomes what God intended it to be when he is King of our hearts when he's Lord of our lives. Another way to say this is like when we fully begin to surrender to him and his way and his will and his ideas and his word. Now, quickly, I want to show you this in some of the things that Jesus said to people while he was on earth. Because I don't know if you've read some of the things Jesus said, but there are moments where you read a story of Jesus and you see him to respond to somebody and you're just saying, there's got to be something else going on here because I don't know why he said that, okay? And so I want to show you a couple of things, things that seem harsh, things that can seem strange, uh, things that can almost seem not like Jesus. Let's start with Mark chapter 10, okay? Uh, let me set this up like this. Jesus has been, has been traveling the northern part of Israel. It's the region that he grew up in, uh, and he's been teaching crowds of people. He's been doing miracles. Supernatural things have begun to happen, and so people are following People are like, 
I got to go see what's going on uh, and all of that. And people take notice, including this wealthy young man. And this is Mark chapter 10, verse 17. And it just says this, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him, fell on his knees before him and said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Seems like a good question. This man's just asking Jesus, what do I need to do to go to heaven? That's his question to Jesus. Good question, right? Hopefully at some point you have asked that question. Hopefully at some point, you know, that, that is important to you. And here's what Jesus is supposed to say. He's supposed to say, just believe in me and accept me as your Lord and Savior and you will inherit eternal life. That's how we're supposed to answer that question, right? But that's not what's going to happen. Verse 18, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. Verse 19, you know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Verse 20, teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Now Jesus here is given a very good old Jewish answer to this question. Follow the Jewish law. Follow the, the, which, is, which is the Old Testament, the word of God. Follow that, listen to that in that way. Uh, verse 21, it then says, Jesus looked at him and loved him and said, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Them come follow me. And at this, the man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus says, you want to go to heaven, buddy? Go sell everything you have, all of your possessions, and give it all away. And then you can go to heaven. That's Jesus' answer to a man who asked, how do I go to heaven? Could you imagine if somebody after church walked up to me and said, I have a serious question, Pastor Kyle. I, I really, I just want to know how to go to heaven. Could you imagine if I responded with the same words that Jesus did and said, go sell everything you, that would not go very well. Would you agree? Like Jesus can say things that nobody else can say, uh, but what is going on here? There has to be something deeper going on because I think we begin to ask the question, well, is this the formula for anybody and everybody to go to heaven? And I think we clearly say, no, it's not. We see the Bible talk about how, how godly people should handle their wealth all the time. We see how a godly person should, should save for the future. We read about that in the book of Proverbs. How a godly person leaves an inheritance for his children, for their children. We see this type of, um, if we're all selling all we have all the time, we cannot follow the rest of the Bible as well. Something different is going on here Okay, but I mean, what a crazy thing for him to say here. The, like, it, it's unbelievable what Jesus says in this. And we as Christians read stuff like this, and we just kind of push it to the side and say, well, what? I don't know what's going But what is happening? And, and, and I, be, I believe this, this to be a deep conversation that could take hours to unpack. But for our conversation today, we're going to just throw it out in 30 seconds instead, okay? Uh, the problem is not this man's wealth. The problem's not his wealth. The problem is this man's heart. The problem is this man's heart. And Jesus understood that money and possessions would prevent this man from making Jesus Lord. 
That's as simple as this is. Now listen to me. It's one thing to say you want to be a follower of Christ. It's another thing to make Jesus king. It's another thing. And you can do a lot of religious activities and Jesus can not be Lord. And Jesus looks at this man with compassion, the story actually says. He's not being a jerk here. He says, he looks at him with love and loved him. And he says, listen, buddy, your wealth, your money, the incredible financial blessings that you have as a person, it has a grip on you and you will not be able to make me king. So listen, uh, we can just say this. If my money, if my wealth, if my stuff is more important to me than Jesus, then Jesus is not king. Understand? Like if my money and my wealth and my stuff is more important to me than Jesus, he's not Lord, of, he's not Lord then. It's as simple as that. And you got to know, materialism in our culture is constantly pulling at our hearts. Guard your heart. And one of the things as Americans we have to begin, we have to be aware of is the pull of materialism, greed, coveting, wanting more, this desire inside of us and all of that. We're going to come back to that in the next two weeks for sure, because as Americans, we cannot talk about Jesus being king of our hearts without talking about money. We're going to look at some of the things he said. Okay, enough of that topic for today. But what's interesting, uh, like it's just a difficult interaction to unpack. Now, let's look at the second story. Second one today, equally kind of weird and out there and harsh. This is Luke chapter 14. Uh, Luke 14, it says this, Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. The word disciple is just translated as my follower. So there is a large crowd uh, around. They're following Jesus. Why are they following Jesus? Because he's doing miracles. He's teaching things that are unlike anything they've ever heard. And so people are, uh, it's, it's this incredible show that people want to hear and be a part of and see. Uh, but there's also many that are just feeling something deeper that's going on here. And this crowd of people is following Jesus. Picture him Okay, he's at the state fair and there's a million people and they're all like, you can picture that because you've been in that crowd. And then Jesus just stops, crowd of people, stops, turns around, says, if y'all don't hate your parents and your children and your wife and even yourself, you can't be my follower. And then he turns and walks. What is going on? What, 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 like, Jesus. I'm a, I think I might start saying this one too. So you come up after, after and you're just like, I just really want to be a father. I'm like, you got to hate your mom. Like, I don't know how to get around it. Not that one. Hate dad. Okay. Okay. You do, you, you're going to have to hate your children if you want, if you want to follow Jesus. Like, like what, Jesus says some of the craziest things sometimes. And, and so what, what is going on here? I mean, do you have to hate your family in order to be a follower of Christ? Answer me. No. Are you sure? Okay. Uh, yeah. No, like, sincerely, we have all sorts of scripture. One of the Ten Commandments is like, honor your father and mother. Uh, we, we have all sorts of things about parents passing on 
a, a, a genuine faith to their children. We, we have all sorts of beautiful passages of Scripture about family and how we treat them and how we love them and husbands and wives submitting to each other and all, like all of this beautiful stuff. And, and Jesus then just throws this out like he uses the word hate. He, he doesn't say, well, you're going to need to, you know, your, you, your family may need to sacrifice a little bit for, for us to fully do this. Uh, you know, you're not going to see him as much as you used to if you choose to follow me very literally in, in this culture. That, like, he uses the word hate here. He uses the word hate. Well, let's talk this out a little bit. Uh, scripture here uh, is just pointing to a priority problem. A priority problem. Uh, the problem is not family. The problem is not that at all. The problem is priority. The problem is who is first, who matters most, who is king of your heart. This isn't hate your family in the way that it comes across in the way that we read it. In fact, scholars like all agree on this. They don't even argue about this at all. But this is very simply, when you compare your relationship with God, your relationship with Jesus to your relationship with your family, your relationship with your family should look like hate in comparison to how much you love, how much you cherish, how much you follow this right here. Okay? Now, even that seems hard to, ta- hard to say, isn't it? Like, to talk about that. But the bottom line here, like, listen to this. If you place, if, if, if your family is more important to you than Jesus, then he is not king. If your family, now that is so hard for us to even say. It's hard for us to even fathom what is going on here. Uh, His words seem almost bonkers, if I can use a weird word from the stage, okay? Like, but Jesus has just said, sell your possessions, all of them, and give them to the poor if you want to follow me. And he says, unless you hate your family, you cannot be one of my disciples. The bottom line is just simply this. If we place anything, anything in our lives, if we place anything above Jesus, then Jesus is not king of my heart. And he's not king of my heart. And understand this, when Jesus becomes king of your heart, you are now a better father and spouse and all of that type of stuff than you ever could even imagine. And so there's nothing in this about Jesus saying, treat your family like junk or whatever else, okay? When Jesus becomes king of our heart, like nothing, nothing, nothing should even compare, should compare to that right there. And Jesus says it in a way that is almost shocking, but he's making a point. Our wealth keeps us from making Jesus Lord of our lives. Our family oftentimes keeps us from making Jesus king of our hearts. Music team, will you please come? But I'm not quite done yet. So uh, before we go, two things. Two things that just sort of answer the question, where do we go from here? And we're going we're gonna to use some king language. <coughs> Excuse me. We're going to use king language here. The words are humility and obedience. Humility and obedience. And this plays out with a real king, and we can picture that, and it plays out with our relationship with Jesus. First, humility. I want you to think with me about a real king. I know we don't 
we don't have kings and we don't really know. We've, you've seen it on TV, right? Okay, what a king looks like. But the idea of humility when it comes to a king is that a king is up here. He matters. His, what he says goes. Okay, a king is up here and we are down here. In fact, a, a proper response to a king is to do what? Kneel down. Bow before them. I heard over there, okay? It's a sign of humility. It's a sign of, of I submit. It's a sign of you are that and I am this. And I humble myself and I submit to you in, in, in that way. Humility says you are king and I am not. Uh, and, and, and humility, we see this all throughout the scripture, by the way. God, God talks about humility and pride and all of this. It, it says God detests the proud. Uh, God hates people who are proud. What does that mean? Proud is like when we put ourselves as up here, we put ourselves as this important. And God says, man, it's not how it's supposed to work. It's not all about you. It's not that way. Humility, but God, it says God draws near to those who are humble. Uh, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble is what we see in the book of James. Why? Okay, pride says I am king. Humility says you are king. The second, obedience. With a real king, the king tells you to do something and there's not like, well, we'll see if I have time. With a real king, you do what he says. And there's no questions asked. When a king says something, you do it. You are obedient to that. Uh, you drop everything in that moment and do what he says. Why? Because he is king. The king is king. Listen, if you don't do, and if we don't do what Jesus says, He's not king. He's not king of our hearts. One scholar said it this way, if anyone recognizes Jesus as his or her Lord, then the first requirement from such a person is utter and total obedience. And we're going to talk about this in the next couple weeks, humility and obedience, because as a, as a whole, the American Christians have a very me-centered obedience to God where we like, we like a lot of the things that he says because they benefit us. But there's some things that Jesus has said. There's some things all throughout the scripture that we just kind of say, I don't know about that. And we find ways around some of that. Please stand with me all over this place. God, we just pause after a lot of information and a lot of scripture and a lot of thoughts, much of which we're left with, I don't really know what to do with that. The bottom line is, God, that our desire is that you would be king of our hearts, that you would be Lord of our lives. And God, that we would just fully understand that our culture that our world, our money, oftentimes our work, our family, sports, music, is constantly pulling at our hearts. And God, even, even though we 
often will make you Lord of our lives. And we step off of that throne and we say, God, we want you to be there. For some reason, God, it's like we're constantly trying to climb back up on that thing. And I pray that you would help us to be fully aware that we would begin to guard our hearts that we would feel when that stuff begins to pull and we would begin to say god we need you god we want you to be king we want you to be lord and i pray that you would help us with that in your name we pray i was i was listening to something this week and It was a guy who was talking about really difficult passages of scripture that we read. And, and oftentimes our initial response to that is just to say, well, that must be some cultural thing. That must not be what it says. And he just, he just said, he said this phrase, he said, when I, when I come to a passage of scripture that I don't like, I want my response to be, I'm wrong. Not this must mean something else. The initial response of humility, instead of trying to, in a way, talk ourselves around things, because it's very easy for us to get to passages of scripture like this and, and to just say, well, I don't see how this applies to me at all. Jesus just told that crowd to hate their parents. Jesus just told this man to sell everything that he had. I'm just going to move on. That doesn't make any sense. When in fact, I think our response should be, I'm wrong in this. And I need to humbly say, God, where am I at? God, when it comes to my family, have, have they kind of become king of my life above you? Are are Am I living for them? First and foremost, 100%. Is that my life? Is my life completely wrapped up in them? Because I'm telling you, that's not how this is supposed to work. Jesus is supposed to be king. Everything he wants, he's king. Everything that he says, we say yes to. This is how this is supposed to work. And we see this passage of scripture where Jesus tells this young man, sell everything that you own. And we say, well, we know that's not real. And that's not like, okay, this man had an issue. And so Jesus was saying that because it was his issue. We should respond with God, does, does wealth have a grip on my life in a way that it shouldn't? Does, does the pursuit of more do I find it almost impossible for me to say no? Is there an unhealthy thing that money has on my life? Am I working way more than I should because I think that'll, that I need that or I whatever? Like we should be asking ourselves and saying, we should make an assumption that we are wrong and say, God, show me what that looks like. Humility and obedience, humility and obedience. And I think at this point, the response is for us to just internally ask ourselves the question, is Jesus Lord of my life? 
Is he king? And are the decisions that I'm making based on that? And what does it look like for us to take a step in that direction every single day? Because we have to guard our hearts, remember? Which means you can absolutely put Jesus on the throne of your life. But I'm telling you, if you're not careful, you're going to be climbing up that thing again and again, doing everything you can to get back up there. With no one looking around, just a time of privacy and reflection here. Maybe you're here today and, you're, and you would just simply say, I've never, I've never truly responded to this message of Jesus. See, many of us come from church backgrounds that were filled with tradition and religion. And, and tradition and religion can be beautiful things, but they can also lead us to a very impersonal version of what this is supposed to look like. You are meant to have a relationship with God personally. He sent his son to die for you. And our only response is just to say yes and to declare with our mouth that you are Lord. And so maybe you're here today and you would say, Pastor Kyle, I have never done that. I've never made that decision for my life to declare Jesus as Lord to respond to him personally. And, and I want to do that today. If that's you, just quickly show me your hand. I just want to pray for you. Is there anyone in this place that would say, yes, that's me? If you're watching behind a screen right now, you could respond to that as well. It's a person, it's a decision on the inside that you make. And church, let's just pray together, everyone. We, 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 we do this every week, but it's not about the words we say. It's truly a heart thing between you and God. Let's just pray that together. Pray, Father God, I give you my heart. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. Forgive me of my sins and change my life. In your name I pray. Amen, amen. Come on, let's put our hands together. We just celebrate.